So all year, we're going through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today we're continuing in John chapter 6 with another one of Jesus' most famous signs, as John calls them, or miracles in his gospel account. And that is Jesus walking on the water. Uh, many people have heard of this story. Even if you didn't grow up in the Christian church, you probably have heard something about Jesus walking on the water. Uh, well, today's the day where you get to actually see that story in the Bible. And it's incredible. If you missed any of the sermons so far in the series, you can always go back and watch or listen online. But uh, today, we have the fifth of seven miraculous signs found in John's gospel. Well, really seven, and then there's a big one at the end, <laughs> the resurrection. But I won't spoil that too much. So today, we have a sign, a sign of sovereign power, a sign of the power of Jesus, the creator the Lord over creation. And this is a huge teaching. This is one of those teachings in John's gospel where it's either true and it changes everything or it's an utter lie and discredits everything. But of all the implications that we could get out of this story, this sign of power, the power of Jesus, is directly connected in all the different places it shows up in the New Testament. It's directly connected to fear. Now, I know that some of us really struggle with fear. Uh, but everybody has fears and anxieties and worries. And maybe you have fear that comes into your heart and into your mind when you think about your kids or your health or your work, your career, or your future. In this broken world, there are many real reasons for fear. But as followers of Jesus, we can face fear in a different way than the world faces it. So how do we face fear? Fears. How do we face the things that we are afraid of in this broken world? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter 6, starting with verse 16. John 6, verse 16. We're going to put the scripture on the screens for you as well, so you can follow along that way if you'd like. So let's consider together this incredible story of Jesus walking on the water. We'll start with verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set, across, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Okay, let's pause here and just think about a little bit about the context of this story and where we find ourselves this week. So last week, we considered the sign of provision, of God providing in the feeding of the 5,000. And in three out of the four gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, the, the authors of the gospels place the story of Jesus walking on the water on the night of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. What a day, okay? <laughs> Have you ever had a day that felt like this? It was a big day. So that same day, John says, when evening came, Jesus put his disciples in a boat and had them set off ahead of him 
Now, Matthew and Mark, in their accounts of this same story, they both say that Jesus then went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. And after such an incredibly fruitful but certainly exhausting day of ministry, Jesus needed some alone time with his father in prayer. Can anybody say amen to that? The introverts among us say amen, or think amen in your hearts, okay? That's, he needed to recharge. He needed time alone with his father. Jesus, the son, wanted time with his father. This is what recharged him. This is what he needed after a long day of ministry. Now, John doesn't mention the detail here that Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray, but, but the intimacy of Jesus' relationship with his Father in heaven is absolutely a theme that runs throughout John's gospel. In fact, we will see continually Jesus come back to this teaching that he has, is perfectly and has always been perfectly united with God his Father. So late in the day, the disciples start rowing a few miles across this lake, to the town of Capernaum, which is at the north end of what we call the Sea of Galilee. So last week I said, Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. Okay, it's about the same size and shape as Lake Winnebago. So Appleton's at the north end of Lake Winnebago. Capernaum is at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Now Capernaum was basically their home base. Okay, Capernaum was where Peter and his wife had a house and where Jesus spent a lot of time during his public ministry. In fact, you can still see to this day the ruins of Peter's house there in Capernaum. Anyways, when they were going, they, it was as they were going home after a, an incredible day of ministry, things were not going well. A strong wind was blowing against them, and the waters grew rough. And now, as John says, it was dark. That's never a good thing in John's gospel. The fact that John mentions the darkness and that the disciples were not with Jesus is not an accident. Darkness throughout John's gospel is a metaphor for for a lack of understanding of who Jesus is or a lack of faith in the light of the world. But even for these seasoned fishermen, this was a potentially deadly situation. If their boat went down... There was no emergency beacon. There was no GPS locator on board. There were no Coast Guard or Navy or anyone else who could come to their aid. And depending on how far they are from the shore, they very easily might drown. There are many situations that we might feel in life, that we might face in life, that we would call storms metaphorically. But they were in the literal storm. What would they do? What would these disciples of Jesus do? Look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. If you check the Greek language, it says that they were walk- he was walking on the water. <laughs> and they were frightened. Very understated, okay? I love the Bible. But, but he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Okay, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> 
What? So the disciples went into this situation. They're tired, certainly. They've been up all day. They're helping Jesus minister to thousands of people. And now they've been rowing for hours and hours in the dark and through the storm. And they had only traveled a couple miles. And they were, they were sent out by Jesus on a mission. But they couldn't seem to accomplish it on their own. Friends, that's a sermon all on its own. Later, Jesus will say in John's gospel, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what it looks like to do things apart from Jesus. But in his timing, in his wisdom, Jesus came to them, and as they saw him approaching the boat, they realized he doesn't have a boat. He's walking on the water. And John, again, in this kind of understated way, says, and they were frightened. <laughs> I bet, right? Think of yourself in this situation. All right? Can you imagine seeing a man approaching through a storm in the dark against the blowing wind and the raging sea? What would you think? <laughs> How would you feel about that? Mark is a little more descriptive when he describes their emotional state. He says, when they, the disciples, saw Jesus walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. These are grown men. These are largely blue-collar men, fishermen, who are terrified. And rightly so. You and I would have been afraid too. But Jesus comes to them in their fear, in their struggle against the wind and the waves, and he's not afraid. And it's not a struggle for him. He comes to them and he speaks to their fears. He says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, literally, he says, I am. Don't be afraid. And it's not necessarily a bad translation in the NIV Bible saying it is I, because that is appropriate in the Greek as well. But I believe that there's something more going on here. You see, back when we started John's Gospel, I said that this, whole, this book is like an art gallery. And John has curated for us different displays that all teach us something about the person or the work of Jesus. And in this gallery, there are wings associated with a certain theme. So over here is the wing of the signs, the seven miraculous signs of Jesus. And then over here, there's another wing that is grouped together with I am statements of Jesus. Now, in this wing, we learn more about the person and the work of Jesus. So this one story, we, we have the, the fifth sign, but then we have a nod forward to what will become a whole new theme that John will explore in his gospel in these statements of Jesus saying, I am. Now the I am statements of Jesus, there are, are seven metaphorical I am statements in John's gospel, meaning Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, which we'll consider next week, or I am the good shepherd, and so on. Each of these I am statements 
gives us a little different insight into the person or the work of Jesus. But there are also a few other non-metaphorical I am statements in John, including our passage for today, where Jesus shows up and says, I am. In this case, do not be afraid. Well, why is it significant, you might wonder, for Jesus to say, I am? Like, why, why do we need an, a separate wing in the gallery of I am statements? Well, the reason is rooted in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament of our Bibles. Now, 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, during the calling of Moses by God from within the burning bush, Moses asked God what his name is and what he should call him. And God responds in Exodus chapter 3. He says, I am who I am. Or perhaps I will be who I will be. It's a statement of being, of existence. Say, you tell Israel, Moses, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so in Exodus chapter 3, we get the personal name of God, the name he has chosen for himself, and that is I am. Or in the Hebrew, it sounds like Yahweh, which comes from the phrase I am. So it has to be on purpose, right? That John has this thread running through his gospel where it is Jesus who identifies himself through a series of I am statements. For Jewish men and women steeped in the stories of the Exodus from the time of their childhood, this was going to be a clear, but listen, radical statement that Jesus was not just like a good teacher. He wasn't just a, an incredibly powerful prophet. He wasn't even only the Messiah. John is saying that Jesus claimed to be the I am. He was Yahweh. He was the one who called to Moses from the burning bush. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see? And he had come in the flesh. He was Emmanuel, which means God with us. We started this gospel of John with this statement. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We will consider more of this I am wing thread next week with Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. But for today, as if we needed more evidence that Jesus claimed to be God, there's also this Old Testament theme of the Lord being the master or the ultimate authority over the sea. Job says that God alone stretches out the heavens and, listen to this, treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. This is what Yahweh God does. Or listen to the psalmist in Psalm 107. We read it earlier in our worship service. Psalm 107 emphasizes God's sovereign power over creation and his ability to save people because of his unfailing love. Let's read this section again from Psalm 107. 
Some people went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants of the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Now, I believe that John, the author, had this psalm in mind. When many years later, as an old man, he thought back to that one scary, stormy night. When the disciples realized it was Jesus, their friend, not a ghost, not something there, some sort of omen or some sort of thing that would lead to their death. They were willing to take him into the boat, John says, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Jesus had treaded on the waves of the sea. Jesus had stilled the storm to a whisper. Jesus had calmed the waves of the sea, and they were hushed. And the disciples were glad as he guided them home. What a difference it is to have Jesus in your boat. He brings them calm. He brings them peace. He brings them life and rest and gladness. He brings them home. In this case, back to Capernaum. But one day, truly and finally, he will bring us home. But how does he do all of this? I mean, how could Jesus walk on the water? Well, he does this by being the divine word made flesh. God with us. The eternal son of God. The great I am. In other words, the only explanation for this sign is that Jesus is God. Let's finish this with verse 22. The next day, the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, realized, uh, they realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is God's word. <laughs> Okay, kind of an abrupt ending there, but the fi this final section flows right into our section, our passage for next week. So next week, they, the people question, Jesus, when did you get here? How did you get here? Without a boat. Okay, good question. <laughs> but the end of our passage today, it, it's clear this emphasizes that this isn't a parable. This isn't a made-up story about Jesus being able to calm our fears in the midst of a metaphorical storm. Jesus really did walk on the water. He really did calm the storm. There were 12 eyewitnesses, at least, to what he had did 
on that day. And many more who saw him first on one side of the lake and then again in Capernaum with no other explanation of how he got there. But what does this all mean for us today? How do we apply this teaching to our lives? Well, do you ever struggle with fear or anxiety or worry? Have you ever been terrified? Well, join the club. Welcome. You belong here. <laughs> fear is a universal condition in a world full of sin and death. The, the Christian story of the reason why things are the way that they are provides a great explanation for why we are in the state that we're in. But nevertheless, there are many things, even today, that might help us to have courage or to build our courage in to, enough to face our fears and to find peace in the storm. A couple ideas. Having friends in the boat certainly helps. We have the disciples not rowing alone. This isn't a kayak. They're rowing together, and it helps. That certainly helps. The more isolated you are, the more power that fear has. Now, another thing that might help is the, the wisdom of experience. So many, I don't know of anything that we really can be afraid of in the world that really has no one that has had any wisdom or experience with. And that certainly helps. These men in the boat, they weren't rookies on the water. At least half of them were experienced fishermen who ran their own fishing business. And I'm sure that they knew quite a few things about navigating a boat in the middle of a storm. That wisdom, their perspective, their experience that they brought to the table would have been very helpful. Now, if we're talking about a metaphorical storm and not the storm the disciples faced that day, then there are other things that are helpful. Talking with a counselor certainly helps. The disciples weren't really at the liberty to take advantage of this particular point in their situation, but talking through your fears with people who are equipped to handle that allows us to examine our thoughts and uncover what is motivating our feelings of fear, anxiety, and worry? This is a vital practice, friends, because not everything that we feel is true. And so we must analyze these things and take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In certain situations, other things help. Medications can help. Exercise can help. There are many other practices that can help you have more security, more courage, more stability, and more peace in your life. But just as the disciples did that night, today we have two choices to make when it comes to Jesus. And the result of these choices will have a direct impact, and I believe the biggest impact of all the different things that can help us in our fear. This, these two choices can have the biggest impact on calming our fears. And the first choice is this. Are you willing to accept Jesus into your boat? When the disciples real, didn't realize it was Jesus, they were terrified. They were afraid of him in addition to the fears, I'm sure, that, that they had racing through their hearts and minds about the storm. 
They thought he was a ghost, and then they realized it was him. And imagine the relief, okay? That's when, incidentally, Peter decides to ask Jesus if he can walk on the water too, and he does so for about five seconds, according to Matthew's gospel, till Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus hauls him out of the water and back into the boat, okay? That's, that's Peter, okay? <laughs> John didn't, he decided we didn't need that story in his account. But at any rate... There, I think there's a funny relationship with, between John and Peter. Maybe that's a sermon for another day. We'll, we'll come back to that theme when they race to see the empty tomb of Jesus and John just throws in that he won, you know, against Peter, right? I mean, I got there first, but it wasn't a race, but I won. <laughs> okay, so will you... John has this interesting language that they were willing to take him into the boat. Will you take Jesus? Will you accept him into your heart, into your life, into your problems, into your circumstances that are beyond your control? Will you accept him in? He won't force his way in. But he says, I stand at the door and knock. All you have to do is open the door. All you have to do is let me in the boat. I can help you immensely. Will you do that? Will you, when you're in the storm, will you, when your fight or flight system is on, active, on, on nuclear alert, will you invite him in to that? Will you invite him in? Will you pray to him? Will you trust in him? Will you bring his light and his truth into your darkness? Or not? The second choice is this. Do you believe what John is saying and what the signs of Jesus are showing that this Jesus is not just a, a, a really impressive human being alone, but that he is the creator God who came into his creation? Do you believe these things really happened, that he really did turn the water into wine, or he really healed the official son, or he really restored the man at, at Bethesda, or he really did feed the 5,000, and he really walked on the water? Eventually, we'll see that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried, but on the third day, he rose again from the dead and is alive today as the king and the Lord of all creation. In fact, that was the initial proclamation of the gospel. He is risen. It's the Easter message. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses to this account who spread the story all through the Roman Empire and down through the generations to this day, a story that Jesus is alive. Do you believe these signs to be true? If you do, then this has everything to do with our fears. Now, of course, we probably won't experience the same exact situation that the disciples faced all those years ago. Our circumstances will be different. Our lives will be different. Our experience, our wisdom, our friends, all those things are going to be different. But perhaps we might experience similar fears to how they felt that night. Fears made worse by exhaustion and a lack of progress and the darkness. Fears made worse by difficult circumstances, hopeless circumstances. Fears for our safety or our future or for our loved ones. Fear of death. 
The truth is this. In this broken world, there are many real reasons for fear. There are many things to be afraid of. As followers of Jesus, how do we face our fears? Well, if Jesus is our creator, then he has the power. He has the authority over every inch of this universe. And his power should calm our fears. For he is God and he is good and we too can put our hope and our trust in his unfailing love. He will calm the storm. He will bring us home because he is alive and we will be glad. Let me close with this from Psalm 89, verses eight and nine. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. And friends, if he did it then, he can do it again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come we ask that you would come into our lives, into our circumstances, into our fears. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us when in our weakness and perhaps in our lack of faith, we just forget to look to you as our Lord, as our God, as our creator who loves us and has the ability to come and minister to us and bring peace, and bring rest, and bring life, and bring us home. Lord, you are good, and your love is truly unfailing. And we pray that you would help us, even now, by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.